Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Tea Podcast by Developing Lafayette. My name is Ben Powers. I'm your host. And what we like to do with this podcast is we like to invite different business owners, different community influencers in Lafayette Parish that really highlight Lafayette Parish and what we're all about. Uh, it is the tea. It's Friday. Um, the weather's kind of kind of gloomyish, but we're going to have a bright conversation today. Uh, I got a, uh, of course, always a special guest. Um, his name is Corey Jack. We're going to be talking about who he is, kind of where he came from, and how he came to be uh, who he is, of course. Um, but first, I want to let you know that we do want to give thanks to our sponsor, the Music Academy of Acadiana. Uh, you can check them out on their website, musicacademyacadiana.com. They are Acadiana's top choice for music lessons, piano, guitar, voice, drums, uh, violin, saxophone, flute, uh, audio production. So if you want to be a DJ, if you want to be a drummer, all that good stuff, you can learn all that at the Music Academy of Acadiana. Uh, they teach students of all ages and styles. They've sent students to college and to compete in major competitions. They've also premiered on uh, major TV music contests like American Idol and The Voice. Um, they're founded by Tim Benson, who's a University of Louisiana at Lafayette Music School graduate. The Academy has also been voted as a top finalist in the best music school by readers of the Times of Acadiana since 2016. And they have won the National Music School of the Year Award back in 2014. I'm pretty sure they've won several awards um, since that. But so ultimately, their goal is to make music lessons fun, educational, and to help foster the next music generation or the next generation of creative thinkers and musicians um and so yeah you can find them out on our website our facebook youtube twitter uh, i'm pretty sure they have a tiktok by now mm -hmm. uh, wherever you can find them if you have social media check them out and then you'll be uh glad you did because they're a great company they're local and we appreciate them very much and now Corey. Good to have you. Uh, I've been trying to get you on for several weeks here, so it's finally mm -hmm. good to have you on. How, how's it been going? It's going good. Thanks. It's going good, and thank you for having me on. Sure so. thing, man. So uh, just pop up your name right there. So you are the owner uh, and founder of Jack and Associates. Uh, what is Jack and Associates? Sure. So Jack and Associates is a consulting firm, uh, a company that helps both for-profit and non-profit entrepreneurs get started. So for anyone looking to start a business or a non-profit corporation, uh, what I do is I get with them at the ground level. Um, I help them come up with a strategic plan for the organization, um, especially if it's a non-profit. For businesses, we draft a business plan, analyze the market in which they, they want to operate in, see what, what their customer, who their customer base is, run the data, and then um, probably most valuable at that point with all the documentation. So registering their business with the state um, getting some federal processes in place, um, actually drafting, creating the business plan, uh, things like that. If it's a multi-member or a partnership, getting the um, partnership agreements in place. Um, so anything having to do with process or documentation and paperwork, uh, that's where the company is very valuable. And on the nonprofit side, of course, there's the uh, there's the bylaws you have to worry about and some grant grants. So I'm a process and paperwork guy. So. Um, oftentimes the, the business owners that I work with, they're experts in their craft, whether that's lawn care or janitorial services or consulting or whatever their craft is, retail shops, they know they're experts in that. It's the other ancillary business processes that some folks need assistance with and that's what I'm good at. So in ways it's a 
it's a good partnership between me and my uh, clients. Awesome. Man, so you sound like a lawyer. And here, I know here's the thing, too. My company sounds like a law firm. It does sound and like a law firm. I can't say that wasn't intentional at the beginning because I wanted it to be something that folks take seriously. When yeah. you think of the law, you think of it serious. I'm not a law firm, though. So one thing I tell all my clients is I am not a CPA and I'm not an, uh, an attorney. In fact, I work very well with them. My biggest referral source are CPAs. I take care of some of the um, some of the tasks that, that they don't. So um, some of the uh, more cumbersome tasks that a CPA would charge a lot of money for because it takes away from the larger tasks that they do for some of their larger clients. So CPAs send me a lot of folks to get people's um, um, state uh, paperwork in place or just to take care of some of that other stuff. My nonprofit clients have to get their 501c3 status. It's a it's a lot for a CPA to do. So a lot um, CPAs and business and contracts attorneys oftentimes send their clients to me first. Oh, wow. And oftentimes I'm a good buffer too because before, when I created my first entity yeah. back in 2014, the very first place I went to was a CPA's office. I left very discouraged because they spoke CPA language to me and I wasn't ready for that at the time. I had a business idea I was trying to piece together. I sort of needed someone to talk to first to get my ducks in a row so then I can apply the financial as aspect to the things that I had in my head. So I'm a, that, I'm a good person to, to speak to before you know actually going to that CPA or that attorney, which I work very closely with. So Okay, so... so what are some of the companies that you have worked with, if you can name any of them? Yeah, sure. Um, man, I work with a lot. A, a lot. Just of name companies. two. So, okay. Um, there are some companies that got some recent um, publicity in the newspaper. So, I worked with Malmac um, Cleaning and uh, Janitorial. Okay. So, this this is a company. Um, there's a woman who's been uh, having a cleaning service <clears throat> for uh, three to four years now, but she just incorporated as an LLC earlier this year, and uh, basically she's using COVID. As a, um, as a way to implement some new things for innovation. So she's she started, leveraging COVID. Yes. Oh, wow. So she, now she bought an electrostatic machine to where she could do deep cleaning and disinfectant services. So now she can, she can get more commercial. She's getting more commercial clients because she started using that, uh, that particular service. Um, so that's, uh, that's one example. Um, there's this tech company that, uh, that's developing an app from okay. San Antonio, Texas, uh, that I worked with recently. Um, it just, a, a number of companies speaking of COVID and innovation. Um, so what I did in March, whenever you couldn't meet with anybody in person, I started doing online workshops and things like that and promoting those services on Facebook. And companies from all over the nation started reaching out to me. People from Chicago, people from um, California, Nevada. Uh, I already had Texas folks reach out to me, but all over the place because I was able to reach them via online webinars and yeah, Zoom that's meetings. Cool. So now I can help anybody in, in anywhere in, in the country. So some of these businesses I helped are elsewhere. So if I mention a business that I helped that it doesn't seem like there's a business locally that's doing it. It's a business from another state. So you have that's... clients all over the all over the United States. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, what made you want to even get involved in doing this? Sure. Like, because you and I we were talking before we went on air that we we graduated the same year from high school. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually didn't go too far away from high school from each other. You went to uh, Mamu, Mamu High correct? School. Yes. Yeah, and then I went to Pine Prairie for a short time. Like what? What led you to go from 
you know, being in a small little parish, a small little town, to wanting to help businesses with all of the t- trivial little things that most mm-hmm. business owners don't even think about. Right, right. Oh, man, that's I can answer that question a number of different ways, right? So um, I just remember being in high school. In fact, I, I knew there was all these ideas I had in my head um, of things that I would like to do. Um, that I think could help others because before it was ever about business and money. It was about people. Um, I just have something in me that want that love to help people in general. It's been in me since high school. That's why I started a nonprofit first in 2014. Before there was Jack and Associates, there was the Youth Literacy Foundation, which is okay. a nonprofit. I, I funded my broke self funded a nonprofit that helped the the, uh, the kids, the youth in Lafayette. It was always about helping people. Okay. Well, so I went to uh, UL in 2005 after graduating from Amu High for. To, uh, I got a bachelor's degree in psychology because psychology is my first love, my love of people, helping okay, that makes sense. Mind that makes sense. So, but after getting a degree, I didn't necessarily want it to continue in psychology because I didn't want to be a counselor. Um, I was very interested in business. I got very interested in business at, at UL while I was getting my psychology degree. So I went back and got my MBA instead. I was going to use psychology combine it with business. So I was thinking, hmm. I'll go into either human resources or marketing. It seems like you can use some psychology in that field. But then I still I started falling in love with business. Uh, here's why. I talk to so many people that have ideas. They have passion yeah. um, about a particular service that they offer or a nonprofit they want to start or a product that they make. They might feel that their skincare product or their or their um, natural oils, can be, whatever it is that they, their passion is, they have it. They know how to do it. They have the information. It's just to start a business can be a very complex problem, a complex issue. And I think back to whenever I started that nonprofit, when I would sit in that CPA's office and I was completely lost. And this is with an MBA. I didn't know what I was doing. I had to study and research until I figured it out. Once I started hearing people's stories and their passions about the people they wanted to help or the product that they wanted to create and the supplemental income that they wanted to bring in to their households in addition to their nine to five job, I was like, you know what? I'm a researcher. I love research. I stay up till three o'clock in the morning doing research. If I want to figure out how to do something or how a system works or how a process works, I am going to figure it out. Uh, So that's what I started doing. I figured out how to create a nonprofit from scratch. I figured out how to start a business. Um, I combined that with the information I got from my MBA de- uh, degree. Um, and then I started realizing, okay, so this is the general process. Regardless of what business you want, everybody has to do this initial first step. And what is that and, first step? So basically, once you create your business plan, you want to reg- be registered with the state. Um, whether you want to form a limited liability company or a corporation or whatever business structure you want to form, first and foremost, just for liability protection. So that in the event of litigation or unpaid debts or anything like that, your personal assets isn't up for grabs and you're not personally liable. You have a layer of protection if you register with the state. A lot of people are conducting entrepreneurial activity right out of their home or they've been doing it. They're experts. I have mechanics that have been working on course for 15 years. I had one mechanic, this gentleman, told, he told me that he knows a core like a, the doctor knows the human body and the human anatomy. No, I don't he's, doubt it. He's, he's right. The thing is, he just got his, his LLC. I helped him with that three months ago. He has 15 years of experience, but whenever he tries to promote himself and get various contracts, stuff like that, from a paperwork standpoint, he's only a six-month-old business but he's 15 years of expertise. So, you know, registering with the state and starting that business process and paying business taxes. Some people want to evade paying taxes. That's why they don't go through the process. 
you know, it, you don't look as official. You don't have the credibility that you that you deserve because you're expert in your field. So I have a question about that. So I am I'm guilty of being a person who doesn't have a, a registered thing with the state. Mm-hmm. So I do pay taxes, mm-hmm. but I, I I pay it as a just a sole proprietor. Mm-hmm. You know, just mm-hmm. so under my name. Right, right. Is it? That's not the right way, or is that well, an okay way in the beginning? Yeah. So honestly, it depends on the sort of the dynamics of the, whatever situation you're in. It it depends on your business activity. So I know some people that they'll conduct some type of entrepreneurial activity, but there's not a lot of risk involved in what they're doing. Yeah. They're whatever service or they're performing, whatever product they're offering, their clients can't be harmed by it, right? So if you're paying your taxes, right? Any CPA would tell you any income you derive from any entrepreneurial activity should be paid whether you have an LLC or not right so you're good from a tax standpoint so the only other thing you have to consider is the liability gotcha so you know I know people who will make plate lunches and sell them on Fridays things like (laughs) that and that's fine or they'll bake cookies and they'll sell it the the branding is awesome on Facebook they have no LLC if you're doing that to on a small scale then I guess you're fine but once you start making stuff and all these hundreds of people have your food right if someone gets sick right it's the liability piece of it no I totally understand that so I want to make the record clear that developing Lafayette is a registered business it is a uh, it's an LLC so developing Louisiana LLC and uh, trade name underneath that is developing Lafayette we have developing Lake Charles and some others so just want to clear the air for people that are watching if you're thinking developing Lafayette's illegitimate if you want to call it uh no we are llc so uh i'm just talking about like i have small little things that i try on my own personal level Mm -hmm. that on the side of developing lafayette like um for example i'm I'm currently helping a couple of business owners uh businesses with a website Mm -hmm. and it's literally that like that's my field that I, whenever I graduated high school, that's kind of where I came from. I was a graphic design guy. I didn't go to school for it, but I just apprenticed and I learned all the different you know tools of the trade, I guess you would say. And so somebody says, "Hey, I, I'm looking for someone who can help with graphic design and a yeah, website." Yeah. I'm like, "Hey, I, like I can help you. Right, I'll, right, char- right. I'll, I'll charge you this. You let me know." And usually it's a one-time payment. I get them set up, and mm-hmm. if they need help later on, yeah, yeah. you know, absolutely. Um, but yeah. I'm I'm thinking about. Maybe because this is my second website in less than three months that I'm working on. So I'm like, okay, yeah. if this starts to pick up, where do I go from here? From here, right. And like, what's your advice there? Like, at what point does someone who's working out of their home or starts to feel like they're getting a little bit busier, regardless of the, the type of company, whether it's food or graphic design, at what point do you tell someone it might be a good idea to, to register, even right. if they're paying their taxes and all that. Sure, sure. So the two main considerations <clears throat> is taxation and then, of course, liability protection, right? So if they're paying, I'm a big proponent to pay the taxes, right? If you just to stay above board. So even if you're not an LLC and stuff, you still want to pay your taxes. So if you're doing that, honestly, it's when, whenever you get to a point to where your customer base is growing and, number one, you open yourself up to more liability um, concerns. Uh, number two, you, if, if you ever think about, if ever you want to contract with a, a, a company or the government, oftentimes they'll require you to be a, a, a legal business entity. Or number three, whenever you need more credibility, because whatever business, you op- whatever industry you're operating in, you have competitors. And someone might, your clients might 
see if they see LLC in the back of one somebody's name, but then compared to someone else is just doing it on what appears to be on the side, they may go with the LLC gotcha. corporation. Um, but of those three things, I think the liability piece is important. There's a gentleman I know he pressure, pressure washes houses. Um, he didn't have an LLC, but he did it for people in Mamu in a very like small town. That's, he knows everybody that he's doing mm-hmm. it, but now his services are expanding to Lafayette and Lake Charles. Complete strangers. He don't know these. These are new clients. If he damages somebody's house and there's no LLC, there's no pressure washing LLC to sue. It's <laughs> the person. <laughs> so, But he's opening himself up to a completely different geographic yeah. market. Yeah. So that's when those considerations, you know. You and you'd almost think that, you know, not to say that Mamu isn't concerned with their property, but you, your 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 thought processes in, in this you know market is like my house is like my baby and you know everybody's house is their baby but like there's some higher end houses as you get closer to Lafayette like there's some big places and if you get that job and you mess up that high end house I wouldn't want to be a guy who didn't have an LLC or you know Absolutely. protection now and here's the awesome thing about that so registering your business that adds a layer of protection. You can you still want to be careful though because there is something called piercing the corporate veil. There's still ways to where someone of course there is. can sue you. They can bypass the courts can decide to bypass your liability protection and sue you. Usually, if that happens, something was done very wrong. Or and in the case of a debt you owe, when you just start a business and the business doesn't have enough established credit because it's new. So if you get a business loan, the loan being the business's name, but they make the owner personally guarantee it. So if the business fails, the owner's still on the hook because that the person guarantee it. Once you've been in business for a while and you establish business credit, then that's not the case. They make the business. So if the business can't pay back the loan, you're okay. So that's something that, <laughs> that so there's still considerations. Some loopholes there. But um but registering with the with the state, you have that liability protection. But one thing businesses are encouraged to do is get insurance. That's an, that's an additional layer of protection. Yeah. So in the event of some type of litigation or whatever the case may be, not only are you personally protected because you have an LLC or a corporation, but you also have that business insurance, general liability, or whatever insurance is appropriate for your industry. Okay. Well, we look, I could probably <laughs> talk about all this stuff all day long, but I want to kind of go back to sure. you, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're coming up, you're getting involved in business you had you got you went to ul got your mba i mean you got your mba and what was it uh 2012 what was it in i'm, I'm trying to find it here yes here uh i don't is it no yeah uh, business administration i mean just yeah. that's just it um yeah so and then you went to psychology so so you were talking about getting started like kind of continue there mm-hmm how I got started with my okay. yeah, like from from high school, and you you mm-hmm. you went to you went to UL, and then you're trying to I guess find your way. Gotcha. Kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. So one thing, another thing that sort of got me interested in business, creating one and helping other people was this. So let's get in my master my bachelor's degree from UL in psychology. I was working retail, so I was working at uh, Circuit City was my first job when it was still open on Johnson Street. All about freshman, junior, sophomore, and junior year, they closed down my senior year. So I crossed the street. I started working at Best Buy. Okay. All while I was getting the four years I was getting my bachelor's degree. But, but then when I went to get my master's, I started working at AT&T in the retail store. And then after that, I started working for a company called First Data Selling Credit Card Machines. But I remember when I was getting my, ma- my master's degree in business, I was working for AT&T selling cell phones and SIM cards and stuff like that. And I was using what I learned in psychology 
to, to, sell. to sell. Okay. And then I was learning business principles from my MBA degree, seeing how AT&T was doing things. And I was like, well, if I can use that stuff to sell another company's products, why can't I do use it, it to do it, do my own stuff? So that's another thing that made me sort of wanted to help people. And keep in mind, I actually started the nonprofit first because I was acting more from a place of passion than yeah. money. But after the nonprofit, people were sort of asking me, how did you create the nonprofit? I want to create one. And I was like, okay, I helped like 15 nonprofits in a very short amount of time. Let me start helping them start businesses. So I started a business to help other people start businesses. <laughs> so that's how all of this sort of came to be. So who and, helped you start your business? Or do you just did all the research and figured it out research. yourself? Wow. The research. Yeah. Now I use resources. Um, you know, I have a wealth of knowledge myself, but now I use CPAs and, and, and attorneys. So I, I have a system in place, but the bare beginning, humble beginnings was the research, the MBA degree, and the experience. AT&T really taught me a lot. Really? Um, they taught, they were big on customer service. Um, matter of fact, it was part of the compensation model. If you don't, if you did not provide good comp, uh, customer service and they didn't rank you high on your customer satisfaction survey, it took away from the money you make. And then the company I worked for after that, whenever I was selling those credit card machines, I had a big territory. It was outside sales, so it was Lafayette, uh, all the way west to Lake Charles, all the way north to Shreveport, all the way east to Denham Springs, all the way south to Morgan yeah. City. And it was cold calls. So I was just, businesses did not know I was coming. I just walked in and helped. So I started talking to these business owners, cold calls. I seen how one man and his wife, they were the sales team. They were the human resource. They handled everything. Yeah, I seen their yeah. challenges. So I'm like, this is what businesses were struggled with. This is why I was getting my MBA degree. So it kind of taught me what business ownership was like and where business owners struggle. So as you can see, everything just sort of came together. And then to top all that off, even after Jack and Associates was, uh, what was doing good, uh, I got one of Katiana, our, the, the the local chamber and the regional economic development organization created a position in which the job title, aside from some other things, urban revitalization, was also to help small businesses in Lafayette. So both employee and business owner at the same time, doing the same thing, just two different aspects of it. So. Wow, I remember uh, you being at one Acadiana. Are you still? You're not still there, no, correct? So I somewhere else, which I know we'll get to in a second. Yeah, yeah. So so let's uh, let's go ahead and but jump. Go one ahead. thing though, I still work with one uh, Acadiana. So now I'm contracted out to them. I'm okay. continuing to provide the services I provide once I was still an employee. It's just Jack and Associates, and my okay. team is providing those services. So, so I'm no longer employed. One Acadiana is a client. Is yes. Okay. So my employee became a client. Wow, that's yeah. that's great. Um, so so you kind of touched on it. Um, so you are also in a new role alongside of the. The role that you're in now, yes, um, ex as a executive director of Holy Rosary Redevelopment. Yes. How did you get this? What is how did like how did this come to be a, a position that you grab? Absolutely. So, what I like about this transition is that you'll get to see the different sides and shades of, of me. So. I, you probably could tell I love business. I love business. I couldn't tell at all. <laughs> I love helping entrepreneurs, but that's one side of me. That's the enterprising side of me. Um, the other side of me is I love people. Um, I love community. Um, 
that's why I started a nonprofit first, as I keep mentioning. Well, the Holy Rosary Project, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the history, but the Holy, Ro Holy Rosary was the industrial school, the first school for Afri African-American women. Okay. Um, created a century ago in 1913. Um, and it's, it has such local and um, regional um, uh, historical significance because of that. And people came from all over the nation to attend the school at a time in Louisiana where that wasn't supposed to happen. African-American women um, attended the school. There's a lot of prominent African-American community stakeholders still in Lafayette that are alumni graduates from that school. And there's some well-known nationally that attended this school as well. So um, where's the school? Where was the school located or where is it located? It's located um, on the north side off the it's near the Brobridge Highway off of Cornwall. OK, Drive. yep. Um, I think I remember seeing several articles about it in the past. Yeah. So it started out for African-American women, but in the mid-century, um, it opened its doors up to, to men as well. So it became co-ed. Um, so a lot of there's local black men. Yes. OK. So there's local politicians, businessmen who are also graduates of that school as well. Well, the, um, the school shut its doors in 1993 because the business fell into significant disrepair. Um, so. In the, uh, in the mid 2000s, the Holy Rosary Redevelopment Board was formed to base it for, was for the purpose of uh, revitalizing and redeveloping that business. I mean, in that building to restore it to its place of prominent prominence in the community. Um, so it's not going to be restored into a school, but it's going to be restored into a building that has multiple uses that benefits the people in that community. Okay. Now, because it's a historic building on the on the national uh, registry, there's going to be elements of that building um, as far as the purposes it was used for and historic elements that's going to remain in place. But there's going to, but we're talking about other uses that's going to address needs and gaps that the community around it has. Okay, so. and I mean, just purely judging off the name, is it a Catholic school? Yes, it was. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, when was this school established? Do you mm -hmm. know? In uh, the 1913. 1913. Wow, that's a while back. Yeah. Um, and it started out as a black women mm -hmm. school. Okay. Okay. And when did it close? It closed in, it closed its doors in uh, 1993. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you did say 93. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, 100 years, right? Or yeah. close to 100 years. No, that would be 2003, 100 years. God. Uh, you said 1913? Yes, 2013. I right, my math is so way <laughs> off. Um, so, so your job in this role is to ensure what? Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, to redevelop the build to, to help guide that process, right? So there's an architect that's been on that project for several years, long before I've ever got there. I'm just the first ever executive director that they hired a month and a half ago. LPTFA, the Lafayette Public Trust Financing Authority, <laughs> they uh, they partnered with the Holy Rosary Redevelopment Board and funded the salary of an executive director for the next three years. So I'm, just, I'm that person that they hired. But the redevelopment board has been in existence and they've been working with an architect for almost a decade now. So the plan, plans are in place. So now I'm just helping to move that forward. Um, so they have someone that's hired that can devote time and attention so that that doesn't all fall on the board, on the, on the volunteer board. So meeting with the architect, um, we the, uh, the Holy Rosary Redevelopment Board has gotten both state and federal funding to move that project forward nice. to the tune of five million altogether. Wow. So. Talking with the architect, we're developing um, a scope of work 
for so that we can uh, put a public bid out um, so that people so we can get the, uh, the project going. The building needs to be stabilized first. That's the first phase of the project. We're, we want to get started on that immediately. That's why we need to get the bid out. <clears throat> Once the building is stabilized, then we're going to submit another RFP so that the actual the redevelopment work can begin. And while doing that, we're engaging stakeholders, our board, uh, the, the sisters and the nuns that own the property, alumni, uh, the community around it to see all what they would like to see the appropriate uses for the building um, once it's redeveloped. What tenants are we going to have inside? Uh, we want something that's going to really benefit that community and also something that's sustainable so that, you know, the bills can continue to be paid once we revitalize and redevelop this beautiful building. You want to make sure that it's sustainable and can sustain itself. And when do you when do you envision a lot of this happening? Like, what's the timeline or the projected timeline of, you know, construction, reconstruction, and ultimately completion? Absolutely. So, um, we want the phase, the first phase, to be started as soon as possible. So, as soon as we're working right now, um, to we're finishing up the uh, the RFP so we can get that out. So that work is going to start immediately. As soon as you know, we once we release the RFP, it has to sit there for I believe thirty days, and we have to wait for the responses. But as soon as a contractor is selected. <clears throat> uh, then the process starts. Okay. So we're actually looking to have a groundbreaking in the un upcoming months. So um, I've seen in the past, because this process has been talked about for a while, a few years, hopefully we, you know, we want to be aggressive, right. but two to three years, uh, you know, the project can, can be complete if not sooner, but you know, we'll more details coming up as we continue, as we get this process going. Okay. And so um, once this project gets up and running and gets near completion, do you envision your role shifting or do you will it just be alleviated so that's we're going to be in talks once we get closer to that time there's discussions that you know i would you know, we don't know what the future holds three years from now right but once it can once the building gets redeveloped and we have tenants inside and so i can definitely see myself staying and helping to manage that that project manage the tenants you said and tenants so like residential but no, so there's a couple of things that's been proposed for the building. Yeah. Now we're still in the process of seeing. Nothing I'm saying is definitive okay. at all. Okay. Still speculative. I just have to say because when I heard right, tenants, right. I'm like, okay, so right. there's there's commercial, leases there. Commercial tenants. There's talks of having some type of health care or urgent care there. Okay. There's nothing. There's no health care or area. urgent in that area. Isn't so, this not that far away from like a con there's a convent not that far mm -hmm. away from there? Correct. Right. Is that related at all? Kind of sort of yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, but urgent care and health care, we talked about potentially having something like that in there, um, some type of educational component, um, some it, talks what, of a museum. I was about to say, it, um, I think it would be great to be able to learn about right. that in a more, more, uh, engaged way, like to be able mm -hmm. to see photos and just to read about the history. Cause right. like I've only lived here since 2010, like there's still a lot about Lafayette in and of itself that right. I don't know about. And then much less the smaller components that make up Lafayette. So right, right. Uh, honestly, I, Holy Rosary, I didn't know that it was a um, a black women uh, educated place. Like I was just under the impression that it was a Catholic school that right. just went to disrepair right, right. for years. And um, it, it was never like the most prominent thing to see as it would be an African-American uh, school like yeah. that's that's really cool right right 
Yeah, it definitely has a rich history. Um, you know, just talking to ever since it was announced that I was the new executive director, people who are graduates from Holy Rose have been reaching out. Some I, I know them because they're community figures. I, yeah. I didn't know that they they were graduates, so they reach out to me and they started telling me stories about whenever they attended. And I'm like, wow. And so the last graduate was in '93, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I spoke to a gentleman that was part of that class. Wow, I had coffee with him. Had no clue that he went to Holy Rosary, but he was part of the class. That that class. Uh, what did they teach there? Like, was it a full curriculum, like mm-hmm. math, science, all that good mm-hmm. stuff? Nice. So a lot of rich history, and um, like I said, what's the tenants inside? Whatever we place inside, whatever the uses for the building. Most important thing is the stakeholder engagement. Want to hear from those who've attended the school? Want to hear to to those who supported, um, you know, the, the Holy Rosary uh, team um, in the last several years and make sure that what we put in there really benefits them and it's really sustainable as well. Okay. So there's a lot of things that the community can benefit from and this would be an ideal space. Yeah. So, you know, it's 30,000 square feet. So, um, so once we start seeing all what can go inside, how much space it would take, you know, Awesome. So, so you have this role, and you also have Jack and Associates. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you balancing Absolutely. this? Absolutely. So I get asked this question. Here's the good. Here's a good thing about the business. So Jack and Associates. You now, have employees. I have, I have a team. Okay. I have a team. I, I probably wouldn't be able to do this if, if I didn't. So, this is the one thing that a lot of business owners that I help struggle with, and I've struggled with it for so long. Uh, you know, it gets to the point to where you're working in your business versus working on your business. A lot of the things that I've learned and my method that I've that I've done for the last four years, it can be taught and duplicated. Uh, tasks can be delegated. I've learned that in order to grow just as a business or to do other things or to take on a task such as the Holy Rosary position, uh, which takes up the majority of my time. Yeah. Um, you have to be able to train someone. You have to bring, be able to bring on staff. You have to form strategic partnerships to make it work. Um, you know how they say a lot of moguls, business moguls would say stuff like, I don't know, those who are incredibly successful or, or like millionaires, they have multiple streams of income. I think the average is like seven. You, you can't get there by yourself. So um, Jack and Associates, I have a team in place that you know I can a client can come with a particular need the good thing about it is I have someone that knows how know how to cater to that so of course if there's like a, a bigger problem or more assistance that's needed I can step in and, and I can help but I have a team in place now that allows me to give a full-time effort to the Holy Rosary position and look I, I'm an entrepreneur this is my life uh, I'm one of those people that's up late at nights and working on the weekends so dude entrepreneurs uh-huh. period like working yeah. late like uh, my, my wife, uh, she'll ask me, uh, when, when we first got together over, you know, about nine, ten years ago, uh, I would get on a computer, and when we were first dating, she was asking me, can you, can you like, maybe have, like, a cutoff time on the computer? Can you, like, call it nine o'clock? I'm like, oh, okay, uh, right. but I got a lot of stuff. I had a full-time job in the morning, you know, from seven to five. And then at five, you know, we'd get off, we'd go eat dinner, blah, blah, blah. And then she would take her bath and she, she loves long baths. So I had a little bit of like time there, but whenever I get into something, I don't want to get out of it. I'm in it until I'm finished. And now that I have a four-year-old son, I have a wife that 
I, I want to make sure that I spend time with them appropriately. I don't want to, you know, disengage anywhere in the right, family because right, right. that's I want to keep that solid. But I also like I really have this urge, like I want to I want to create something. I want to do. I want to work, and I, I have to tell myself like I have to get up in the morning. Right. Even though I don't have I like my my schedule is a little flexible because I'm I work for myself, but. I don't want to be like one of the. I feel like I have to get up, like because I I have to also get my son ready in the morning. Right. But right. you know, I I just don't want to get off. I I have to limit limit myself. Right. right. And I find that's a struggle. And, and you know that's one thing too. Um, complimented of how I talk about entrepreneurship to folks because so I'm, I'm single and I have no kids. Right. I do what I, I do what I want entrepreneurially, right. right? I can make the financial sacrifices I want. I can just do what I want with it. <clears throat> Most of my clients have families. I'm going to have a family one day. I don't see myself being single forever, no kids. I, I want kids, right? So it's something's going to change in my life. But I'm comfortable. You, you read books, and you know, to be an entrepreneur, you have to throw yourself in it. You have to immerse yourself in it. But what does that look like as far as work-life balance, spending time with your wife and your kids, and things like that? Um, so, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs I work with, uh, I, I see them like to where they make entrepreneurship a common thing in their household. Yeah. To where it's something that they talk to their kids about. They involve their kids in their business. I think business. that's great. Right. They involve their kids in their business whenever appropriate. They let their kids sit in on various meet, uh, meetings and things like that, or they'll get their spouse in, uh, involved. So uh, it's just something right now. Uh, there's a guy that I follow to where he teaches entrepreneurship to the family, not just the entrepreneur in the family. So where it becomes a household thing, even if your wife isn't like, you know, she may be a nurse, a doctor, a school teacher, a field completely different that they're still a place or she feels that, that that your spouse belongs and that your children belongs there in the venture. So it's very, very interesting to see that. I hope to use that technique one day because like I said, I know I'm going to have a family one day and most of my clients have family. So I think it's something that's important and it will help with that work life <clears throat> balance. And All right. So here's a, here's a, uh, a, a question that could be perceived as controversial. Um, in regards to education. So, entrepreneurs mm -hmm. are oftentimes big proponents of do what you want to do with your life regarding education. Some of them are like, if you want to go to college, go to college. Some of them are like, I don't think you need college. I think you just, you know, work for it. You can get there. I am, I'm on the side of like, I'm not opposed to higher education, I think it's great. Because sometimes, like in your position, you've got your MBA, the, 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 the degrees that you got has led you to a position that actually has excelled your, 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 your business. Um, but I think there are other forms of entrepreneurship that you may just actually waste your time and maybe even your money, probably definitely your money. Uh, let's be honest, because education, if you're paying out of pocket, it's expensive. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because you don't have a family yet. Like, whenever you have a family and you have a young child, what will be your direction and how will you teach them to think about education and just overall? Oh, man. So my view on this has changed in the last three years. How so? First, I'm a big education advocate. Okay. Right? I'm a, my nonprofit I started in 2014 was centered around education. 
it helped me tremendously. I have an MBA. The only reason I'll go back to get a PhD is because <laughs> I, I have a lot going on right now. And for what I'm doing, I don't need it, right? But I, I, You I just like, want a PhD. You want the title, want right? In front of my name, let's be honest. <laughs> but I don't know if it's worth several tens of thousands of dollars. Right. But um, so I'm a big education advocate. I love the best years of my life was at UL. Those four years at UL were some of the best years of my life, and I missed it. Um, but I'm an education advocate. Here's the thing. So when I talk to kids now and stuff, I don't like, um, I think my tone has changed. Go to college, go to college, go to college. Definitely always seek more education. Even if that doesn't look like a four-year institution, it could be a community college. It could be a certification program. I know several folks that go to SLCC or some or a trade school or community college that will take part in a six-month program or 12-month program, and then they come out of it making $40,000, $50,000. So my message to the youth now is that what is it that you want to do with your life? For some things you want to do, you have to have education. Last time I checked, you can't be a, a doctor without going to school. Correct, right. You can't be a nurse I wouldn't want a doctor that who didn't go to school. Right, right. So if that's what you're aspiring yep. to, you need to go to college. However, there's other things, though. If you want to be an entrepreneur, it, it may be worth it to go get a, 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 a bachelor's degree in business administration. You could. Or there may be another, uh, another direction for you to go. It might be a mentorship program. It could be a trade school. It could be a community college. Because here's the thing. If you, I, if you give me or, or people who have successful businesses that several years in business, if you give me a 20-year-old that has a business idea that's viable and there's a viable market, I think we can get him there. And I still, look, I still have a lot of work to go to grow my own business. But the, just the business mentorship and the books and the tutelage that's available, I don't know if he needs to get an MBA like I did. Because a lot of the stuff that I learned can be transferred over to him. Yeah. The MBA was incredibly helpful, but it was really it was the experience to working at AT&T and, um, and Best Buy and First Data. That experience, experience is valuable. Is really, experience is right, education right, right. to some Absolutely. level. Absolutely. So I say all that to say this. You know, a person may not need a bachelor's degree per se or a master's degree per se. It, it depends on the direction that they want to go. Now, granted, I know that the stat, stats that, you know, those who have higher uh, educational attainment tend to make more money. So that's a very that, I know that's a very real thing, especially in the in the workforce. With entrepreneurship is a little bit different. It's definitely it's different. your ability to deliver the product or service and your ability to maintain those operations and to connect to your target market. So it just depends on what it is, the trajectory you see for your life. But nonetheless, I never talk against education. I'm a big education proponent. But I think we, we do need to spend time on nurturing and identifying the talents of our young adults so we can point them in the right direction. I agree. Um, so on another kind of point that I want to kind of talk about is, you know, do you feel that people that get an education, let's just say it's a very generalized degree, not necessarily general studies, but just something that isn't targeted, but it's just kind of like, I want, I got a degree to get a degree. Do you ever think or um, feel like there are those 
types of people that just get those degrees are entitled and feel like just because they have a degree that they are entitled to make a specific amount of income? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Because, I mean, it's something that I talk about all the time, not because I don't have a degree, but because I've seen it. I've seen people where they... They feel like they get out of college and they can just step into an executive right, right, right. role. Like, right, right, no, right. you still okay, got to yeah, start okay. from the bottom. You still have to, right. And see, I, I guess it depends on sort of the the perspective that that person is taking because, right, just because you have a degree, depending on the role you're going after, I don't think you're necessarily entitled to, because I know a lot of people who have degrees that, and I know people who don't have degrees that can maybe perform in the role better than the person. I heard a quote the other day that I, I like. It says that some people are, how do I say, educated but not successful because they related more to the books than they did to the people. So I think it just depends on what it is that you're that you're going after. Um, here's the thing about it, though. But I also speak from someone who did get a degree. After putting in four years, I kind of want to make, I want to walk into a, a job making good money because that's what I went to school for. Right. And, and, and sometimes, though, you apply for something where they will require the degree, but they also want four years of experience and you don't have it. Yeah. How do you get that? Degree. That's been the thing that right. I hate. Like, like, you come out of school and like you have zero experience. Right, right, right. And then every job requires experience. Like, how do I get right. it? <laughs> so although I feel as though I don't, I I don't really like entitled perspectives in general. I don't think too many people do. But I do know of a certain frustration that a graduate has because they work for something. Yeah, and you've got to repay a debt, probably. Yes, yes. So (laughs) I can can see both (laughs) sides of that. Oh, gosh. Um, I had another another thought, and it it fleeted. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Oh, you know, here's here it is. So in 2012, uh, I started developing Lafayette in 2012, but it was just a just a very small little Facebook page, and it was just something I was doing for fun, and I still do it for fun. But uh, I also needed a full time job, All right? And I was working at a t-shirt company, and I was there for about a year. I had started in 2011, and I was ready to move on from that position. I felt like that position taught me a lot in graphic design because I went from not knowing how to design something that looked pretty, but to print it, especially not like digital printing. Like if you if you just hit print on a printer, it comes out no matter what graphic you make. It doesn't matter what program you make. Chances are it's going to look good coming out of the printer. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, when you put graphics on a T-shirt, it's different. Yeah. You actually have to know how many colors that graphic has. My designs had probably thirty different colors different shades of green yeah, and reds. Yeah. And whenever the graphic designer that I was showing my work to for this t-shirt company before I got the job, she says, your your artwork is like full of colors and you don't need all these. You need to consolidate these colors. I said, okay. So I had to go do basically go home and kind of redo my graphic design. It was like, uh, it was kind of my entry level, uh, my entryway into the business. Like create a graphic that we can sell on a shirt and we'll, if it's good, we'll hire you. Yeah. So I, had, I was tasked with that. And, um, you know, I just kind of did it anyway to go back. I I left there and I I gained experience from there and I was looking for another job and I found a job uh, offer at uh, a job listing at golfballs.com 
I didn't even know it was a real company until I saw the sign on Johnson Street. I had to go there to my, you know, physically to see it. But I, I was reading the, the requirements of the job, and I, I felt like I knew this job. I, I can do this job. But it required a bachelor's degree. I'm sitting there going, I don't have a degree. Yeah. But I know, I know that I can do this job. I said, you know what? I'm going to just put in my resume. I had a very nice resume. I was a graphic designer. I made it look nice, and I, I researched how to word it and all that. So I submitted it, and the next morning at 7 a.m., I was getting a call. I was still waking up, and it was golfballs.com. And I'm like, dude, they freaking called. Like, I don't, I don't have a degree right, right, listed right. on my resume. Yeah. Uh, I just listed all my experience and the, the programs that I know. And and uh, he asked me if I could come in for, an, like, an interview. I was like, yeah, like yeah. I'm coming, and so I go and I check out the place, and uh, he liked what I, you know, I was about, and he had me sit with the creative director who knew the who knew this position, and basically had me perform three different levels of task, basically easy, medium, and hard, and we want to see how you perform and how fast you perform if you know the tools. And the creative director, he knows the tools. That's an, in, inter- in that's an interesting interview process. Right? It, it, it is yeah, interview. I mean, it, they needed someone who can perform uh, this particular task and fast. Basically, this job required the graphic designer to touch hands-on every single logo that went printed on a golf ball. They print hundreds and thousands of golf balls a year, probably close to a million now. And with with logos coming in of all different varying sorts and sizes and colors and levels, they wanted to know, are you able to complete a logo efficiently with the 50 to 100 so logos that we get a day during our busy season? So while my potential supervisor is behind me and the creative director is behind me, I'm on a computer and I got three different logos and they say, okay, start. I'm like, so I do the easy one first, get it out of the way, super color. It was like one color. I do the next one, it was like two or three colors. And then the hard one was like a four color with different shades mixed in. And I had to figure out a way to set up each of those to print appropriately on a golf ball. And apparently what I did worked because I got a second interview right, right. and a formal offer. And I did it without having a degree, even though the, the, the listing said that you right. need to have a bachelor's degree. Right, right. I think they probably put that there because they wanted to make sure that they had a, mm-hmm. a, a talent. Right, but right. Uh, I, knew, I knew it hands in and out. I'm like, right. so that's kind of why I mentioned education is like, if you really work hard, I think you can get to a level, depending on the industry. Now, you can't be a doctor and right, just right. a princess. Right, right, right. You need to have a degree because right. if you're going to cut me open, I want to see that. I want, I want to know like... <laughs> You see some yes. some diplomas on the wall. I, yeah. I need to know that you were legit. Right, right. Uh, but graphic design, I don't, honestly, I, no one has ever asked me. Do you, well, do you have a certification? Are you are you yeah. do you have a degree? I'm like, nobody's now, ever asked me that. I, I do. I believe that it's it depends on the work and the industry. I think it's a number of factors to where education is a piece of it. It's just not the whole thing. A, a good friend of mine in another city basically applied for a job that. This person would be awesome, man. I know that person can do the work. I absolutely know it. Anybody that knows this person knows she can. The issue is that the the job requires a master's degree. Mm. This is the person for the job. But that that one educational requirement, like you said, there are some jobs and some positions to where, yes, that education is needed. No doubt. But I think that there's other jobs to where experience can be 
just as important of a factor in lieu of the educational yeah. Yeah. attainment. It just, I think it's, it's not a one size fit all. It's the specific, it's, it's specific. You have to, to know your industry. Employment. Right. Because there could be some things that are incredibly talented. You're cutting yourself off from a talent pool because of a requirement that may not necessarily be needed in that <clears throat> position, particular role in this particular industry. Whereas in another one, absolutely. You need a, a, a bachelor's, a master's, a PhD. Yeah. I think it just depends. So uh, we're, we're getting close to an hour. So I want to make this final uh, kind of thought to that is uh, it wasn't long ago, I think maybe three, four years ago, where Google and I think other big companies, big tech companies in um, you know, Silicon Valley and all that actually made a statement saying that they will no longer be judging their talent pool by degrees only. They're going to be looking at all facets of talent, whether you have a degree or if you don't, they're not going to judge on that. Before, it was like all your big companies like, oh, yeah, you need a big degree. Right, like right. If you're going to work for Google, you need a degree. And now they're not specifically looking for that if you have the talent. Because a lot of these big tech companies, their founders probably don't have degrees. A lot of them don't. So you said it. And that's the thing I was having, that I wanted to say in my head. I know CEOs locally and regionally and nationally that do not have PhDs. You know, some don't have degrees, but they know that they have the know-how and the skill and the team to manage multi-million dollar companies. So, yeah. you know. But they didn't get there easy. It, it took get, some grit. It took grit and, you know, hard work and studying. Those are also the other key components, right? That can sometimes bridge the gap in, like, in lieu of, of a degree. Yeah. So, yeah. Gosh, man, look. I could talk. I could talk about this. This is this is a fun conversation. Yeah. I think uh, I want to. I I definitely want to have maybe a lunch with you and just continue talking yeah. about some of this stuff because I think it's uh, you're you're easy to talk with and uh, I love where you come from because I love entrepreneurship and business. Mm -hmm. I'm 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 always kind of into that. Plus I'm I I write about businesses and I I talk about them. So uh, I I love that. Um, is there anything else that I didn't mention before we close up that we should have touched on? I think that's it. I guess the only other things to sort of know about me is my uh, my passion for the youth and young adults. Um, it's the first thing that I did in this community when I first stepped out to do something was to um, basically contribute something that do you, I wish that I would What do you do had. now for the youth? Is there some? Is there like a class or like a webinar Absolutely. that you do? So the nonprofit I started in 2014 it sort of evolved into the Le Legacy Institute for Economic Attainment. So I got I'm doing too many other things, so I don't I'm not you know as active or in it as I once was when I first started it seven years ago. But I have a team in place and um, someone hired to sort of run it. So through that, we teach entrepreneurship and financial literacy uh, to youth um, in certain communities, so that they're equipped with that beyond what they learn in high school. Yeah. To, where to be honest, you don't learn financial literacy uh, in high school. You right. don't. I had back in whenever. I was, you and I were uh, graduating high school. I think I had a class, a financial class, but all they did was teach you how to write a check. Right. And I don't know too many people who write checks anymore. Right. Like checks are, you still have them, but it's, it's changed so much that all the digital right. forms and just being able to keep up with books and understanding taxes and all that. Like they didn't tell you in school, oh, by the way, taxes are going to suck, but you need to pay you them need and you, pay need them. To, you need to know how to deal with it. So here's the thing that we talk about in the curriculum we have for that nonprofit. So banking and budgeting, um, 
credit. Oh God, yeah. Never learned credit. I love my high school. Never, never learned it there. Credit, credit reports, what affects the score, things like that. Um, we have taxes. Mm-hmm. We found a way to make taxes interesting. It's hard to teach high school students taxes. We found a way to make it interesting. Um, investing. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Real estate. See, I wish they teach this stuff because I would have. I would have got. I, I think I would have been in, in a different area of life if I would have had like that type of teaching of like, hey, this is how a lot of people obtain wealth. Is real estate a big one? Right. Like I know a lot of people, uh, and there's a guy named Nathaniel Moore. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know. Yeah. He he gained a lot of his initial wealth from, from real estate. You know, actually, his daycare was a real estate, real estate venture that yeah. turned into a business of daycare. Right, right. Like. It's important to know real estate because everything it leads into life insurance and how that works in a transference of wealth with life insurance. Talk about that and how the economy works just in general and why a Whole Foods won't be located in certain communities. Right. Why a Starbucks won't go to certain median household income. Talk up so that the youth have an understanding of you how You need to be works. in my comments section. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you. Whenever I write about something, a business that's coming to the south side, mm-hmm. I look, the north side needs help. They need good businesses there. But I have I have a large group of the community in the north side going, why can't we get, you know, this business? Why can't we get that? I'm like, look, it's not that they it's not that they, they you can't get them, it's that they're they're risking money. A lot of these are private companies. Like they the city just can't drag and drop a business. These are private companies that are looking at risk evaluation and like it's sad to say that they don't see the north side as a good risk and I'm, I, I try to like tell people in the comments I'm like you north side will get things it may not be a Starbucks it may not be a Whole Foods but it'll be something else and you see and that's where I want to dedicate my time and energy because you know, the North Side definitely deserve oh, yeah. all those things, right? So I want to be a part of whatever community efforts currently taking place in the North Side because there's a lot of there's a lot of smart, talented, intelligent people there. Dude, a so lot of I, your smartest talent comes part, from absolutely. Area. I want to be a part of the solution and working with the folks who live in the North Side, who work in the North Side, uh, into helping the build and what it needs to be. So that it can, you know, begin to economically thrive. And there's a lot of people doing great work. I think of Tina Shelvin, who's doing incredible, Tina Bingham, who's doing incredible, uh, incredible work for Macomb Visa. She has an entire business academy. She has an economic development committee. And I think about everybody doing great work in that community. And I'm, part of, I'm a part of all those efforts. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it and the Lazards, they the do Lazards, a lot. Yep, yeah. In the Truman area, through Destiny of Faith and Oasis Community Colliery, Miss Alzina. There's a lot of people doing a lot of great work. Um, yeah. I get excited so. whenever uh, I see uh, talks and renderings of potential of Northside developments and like mm-hmm. where they plan them. I know the Lazards have showed me renderings of like mm-hmm. parts of the university that they wanted to do stuff mm-hmm. with, uh, with whatever zoning happened that didn't happen. But there is a lot of potential. A lot of potential. I think one of the Starbucks in that location too. And you know, Starbucks only median household income has to look like a certain way. But what can be done in those communities that's equitable? That considers the people who live there, and still be able to get some of those things. But no, yeah. I definitely, from an economic standpoint, no, look, I, I tell you, man, get it. If, if you can have a McDonald's, if you can have a Sonic there, I yeah. think you can have a coffee shop. Yeah, right. I, I think the name is or the company 
they, 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 they may value themselves in a certain way. I think if you give some people a coffee shop, a good coffee shop, it could be CC's, it could be Jet Coffee's an amazing place. Right. Just plug in and find a good spot, plug in that's a busy area. By Super One, that's a busy little area. Right. Sonic does well right there. Right. Find your little pocket. I think what they say, the, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of black-owned businesses. Shout out to Trey. He's located down downtown. Oh, yeah. Black, black Cafe, Coffee. Yeah. Yep. yep. No, a lot of uh, black entrepreneurs. He comes from uh, North Louisiana, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I th- I yeah, think so. I, I think yeah. he comes from the north north side of uh, Louisiana. And uh, yeah, he moved here, and I was like, dude. So what made you stay here? He goes, oh yeah, you know, the, you know, of course, the family life, and then uh, just the food, and a lot of people say the food, but yeah, uh, yeah, that, he's got a great thing. I love his. Uh, uh, sweet potato biscuits and oh, yeah. the scotch eggs are amazing. Yeah. Gosh. I just I tried the scotch eggs for the first time recently because I go there often. It's just I never, I always get the same thing when I go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I tried it. It was delicious. Which which scotch egg did you get? The one that had the, like, pork. Like, okay. I, got, yeah. I, I tried them all, but my favorite was the chicken breast. Yeah. Uh, uh, I love chicken breast. Look, man. Okay. <laughs> we're getting off topic. Uh, we're over an hour. I got uh-huh. somewhere to be, and I know you're a busy guy, too, so... Corey, I appreciate you uh, coming on, and I loved chatting with you. Uh, of course, obviously, you could tell that I, we could keep going. Yeah. And uh, I want to be respectful of your time. So, um, again, thank you All for right. coming on. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right. And, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you can check out this podcast and all the – I think I'm at 87 recordings now you can go to apple podcast you can go to spotify you can go all the different places where you get your podcast at and again i want to thank the music academy of acadiana for sponsoring this because uh we have to have revenue i mean we're talking about business this is a revenue source so i uh, really appreciate them and if you're looking for if you're looking to sponsor us or advertise with us uh i know a guy you can talk to uh myself So if you message us, we will get in contact with you. And um, that is that. So um, again, have a good one, man. I appreciate you and I look forward to seeing what you do. Sounds good. information on sponsoring the tea podcast by developing lafayette go to our website at developinglafayette.com and click advertise